Good morning. It occurs to me that Braveheart is probably one of those uh, most watched, most uh, often seen uh, clips for uh, using in a sermon illustration. But um, I want to welcome you this morning. Steve, our, our senior pastor, Steve Treichler, has uh, begun his sabbatical. He's up at Dads and Lads with his uh, three boys. And uh, would you pray for him? Uh, I know we say that often, oftentimes, but would you really pray for him during this time that he would get refreshed and re-energized and continue to be the faithful and effective man of God uh, that he's been for the past nine years to this body? Uh, would you pray for him uh, in your times? Uh, I, uh, my name's Cor Shemleski. I'm the pastor of Outreach and Assimilation, which... As I've come to know it since August of last year, means I take people out for coffee. And so if you're available this summer and you got nothing to do, call me up. I'll take you out for coffee or a bagel. I actually had my first uh, cup of coffee uh, this past uh, month. All through, I made it all the way through college, but this past month I had my, my first cup of coffee. It, was <laughs> it wasn't like the real stuff. It was like one of those mocha things and it had just a hint of, but I swallowed it down. I made it. Um, I, uh, I'm married to a great woman. Her name is uh, Jill. And uh, like Kip said in Napoleon Dynamite, you know, I'm 100% sure that she's my soulmate. She's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Uh, I, I love her to, to death. She is the greatest thing. And God has blessed us with two kids. Uh, I don't know if the, the, the scene is up there, but uh, Drew. Drew loves Isaac. And it's just so wonderful to see. He just kisses him all the time. And he actually like prevents us from getting things done because he just wants to kiss Isaac all the time. Um, but we are really blessed. We kind of kid my mother-in-law. Hi, Mom. <laughs> Sometimes we kid my mother-in-law because we ask her what she wants for her birthday. And she says, no, no, no. All my dreams have already come true. All I want is to be with you guys. And that's kind of how I feel right now. Is I, I feel just like my mother-in-law, that all my dreams have come true. i got a great family uh, that loves me. And, and so I feel really blessed. With that being said, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going with our study in the, uh, the church on fire, a study of the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, you know, I'm a substitute teacher here in one sense. You know, we're, we're going to keep going with the curriculum, okay? We're not going to stop what we're doing, but we're going to have a lot of fun. I was thinking maybe we could run like a zip line down there into the baptism. What do you say, Jesse? Can we do that with the youth? We'll get a zip line when strike's gone. Will you pray with me as we be begin here? God, thanks for this time. Thanks for your word especially, which teaches us so much, God, about you, about ourselves. And we want to ask you right now to speak to us through your Holy Spirit, to teach us, God. We come before your great throne, um, inviting you, God, to speak to our hearts, speak to our minds, where we're at, in the situations, in the lives you've given us, in the different spheres of influences that you've placed us in. Teach us right now, God, and help us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, for those of you who haven't been here and don't know much about where we're at, we are pretty far in the book of Acts, and we are right now looking at a man named Paul, and Paul is, 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 is being used by God to do something. And if we go to Acts 9, verse 15, we're going to find out what that is. It says in Acts 9, verse 15, that Paul was God's chosen instrument to carry the Lord's name before the Gentiles, those who aren't Jewish, and their kings, so non-Jewish kings, and the people of Israel, so Jewish people as well. So he's God's chosen instrument 
basically to carry the Lord's name before a whole bunch of people. You know, much of the known world at that time was his responsibility. Can you imagine coming to work? And that's in your inbox. That's your job. Right? You've got to carry the Lord's name for all the known world at that time. And what we've seen now is he, he's on his third journey. He took a journey. He went out and he did that. He came back. He did another journey. He went out. Uh, Asia Minor, so like present-day Turkey, Greece. He's gone out. And he's done that. Now we're on the last leg of his third journey. He's finishing up his third journey. And what we saw last week at the end of chapter 20 is he's just said goodbye to some elders and some leaders from Ephesus. They came down to Miletus. They met him at the coast. Farewell, crying, just like with Steve. Farewell, crying. He's going on sabbatical. But he, they might not see each other anymore. Paul's saying, this is my, my, my uh, mission to carry God's name before this area is coming to an end. And I'm moving on, and I might not see you again. And it actually says in chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, that he's compelled or bound by the Spirit to now go to Jerusalem. He's been up here in the present-day Turkey, and now he's going to come down to Jerusalem. That's where he's bound by the Spirit or compelled by the Spirit to go. Why? Does anybody remember what Steve said? Why is he going to Jerusalem? First and foremost, to... bringing letters and money and uh, material blessings to the people in Jerusalem. This group that he's helped share the, the good news about Jesus, has, they've shared in God's spiritual blessing. They've heard about what a great God he is. And now Paul's asked him, hey, why don't you contribute funds and give letters of thanksgiving? So that's what Paul's going to Jerusalem to do, to bring this, these letters of thanksgiving and this money. And it reads, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Wait a second. I thought you were just going to bring money. Why are, why are prison and hardships facing you? Got to come next week. That's next week, all right? And we're going to show a clip of Miracle. So that's added incentive. Be here next week. Okay? You'll find out. But our section starts, chapter 21, and you can see it on the screen, you can see it on an insert, you can see it in a, a Bible uh, that's in the pew there. We're starting in verse 1 of chapter 21. After we, we there is Paul and all his traveling companions, those who have been going on these journeys with him. After we've torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and s sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. We're just tracking his journey here. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where our ship was to unload its cargo. I, got, I put the map up there. Basically, they're just on their last leg here. Uh, that big line across the Mediterranean. Yeah, that's kind of where they're going there. That's their big, the, the final end, the final leg of their journey. And we're just, they, those, those verses there are just tracking his journey. Verse 4. Finding the disciples there... Entire, we stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray again. A good farewell scene, another farewell scene. After saying goodbye to each other, we went on board the ship and they returned home. Did anybody catch that? Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem, but we had already noted that Paul was bound to go to Jerusalem. What's going on here? 
Which one is it? Were these people really telling Paul through the Spirit to go to Jerusalem, or was Paul really not bound by the Spirit, or is the Holy Spirit sending conflicting message? What's going on? It kind of reminds me of the scene. Anybody uh, watch Cheers? I kind of watched Cheers a lot growing up. And uh, Fraser Crane tries to expose the bar to great pieces of literature. So he brings in Charles Dickens. And you guys know Tale of Two Cities? Okay, watch this. Yeah, there's not a, lot, not a lot to be redeemed in Cheers, but there's something. Okay, so Fraser Crane starts out. He says, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And then Norm Peterson. Whoa, 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 whoa. Which one was it? <laughs> And that's what happened. That's what, that's what kind of I'm wondering here is, was he bound to go to Jerusalem, or were these people really telling him the truth to not go to Jerusalem? Which one was it? All right, stay tuned. I'm not going to answer that. Stay tuned. Not till next week, just later. Okay. Verse seven. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. Reference to Acts 6. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So Philip, this guy, he's one of the seven. If you look back to Acts 6, some people were being left out of food distribution. And so the disciples thought, hey, let's get a, a group, a committee. They'll take care of it. And Philip was one of those. And he was also an empowered evangelist, sharing the gospel. It's also interesting to note this, this, this inclusion of verse 9. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Why is that interesting to be uh, noted? Well, they were unmarried. Unmarried means probably less than 16 years of age, which in that culture, not highly esteemed, not highly valued. Okay? And they were women, which in that culture at that time, not highly valued, not highly esteemed in the public forums. But yet Luke, the author feels that those women, those four unmarried daughters, are worthy of, ex of inclusion in this account. Their spiritual influence encompassed enough where he felt like it was important to include them. Though, unmarried, young, less than 16, and female. So a quick application, quick side note, not the main point of the text, but a quick side note. Is there anything that you or other people are impressing upon you to keep you or prevent you from making a difference for, for Jesus. Many people could have used this that they were young and that they were women to prevent them from making a difference for Jesus, a spiritual difference. Is there anything in your life? I just ask you to examine quickly. Is there something in your past? Your lack of Bible knowledge, your marriage, your divorce, your job, your lack of job, your age, your gender. How long have you been a follower of Christ? The stage of life that you're at. Not, the right, not having the right spiritual gifts. Is there anything in your life that seems to be detracting from you, detracting you from following Jesus and making a difference? For these women, they didn't let those things bound them, bind them and prevent, prevent them from making a difference for Jesus. I just ask you to examine your own life. Okay, verse 10. Keeping on going. After we had been there a number of days... With Philip and his daughters, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, elevation-wise, came down. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. 
One part of prophecy is prediction. Many times prophecy, and, and with those four unmarried daughters, many times it's strengthening people, encouraging them, affirming them, uh, telling them what God's word says about it. It's comforting them. But sometimes prophecy includes a piece of prediction, and here that's what we see, is he makes a prediction. It's not the first time in Acts that Agabus has made a prediction. If you go back to Acts 11, verse 28, it reads this way. One of them, in this group of people named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world, and it notes that this happened during the reign of Claudius. One for one. Predicted it, came true. What about this one? Is he right or is he not? And more importantly for our purposes, did the Holy Spirit really say this? Because he got up there and said, the Holy Spirit says. And when you say something like that, you better be able to back it up, right? Does he get it right? First, first half of the, the pro, pro, prophecy there. In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt. And one for two, okay? It's not going to be the Jews of Jerusalem that bind him. It's, it's actually going to be the Gentiles or the Romans that are going to bind him. Now, he does get bound, so maybe we'll give him partial credit. Second half of the prophecy, he says, they will hand him over to the Gentiles. It's actually the Gentiles who rescue Paul from the, the uh, grip of the Jews. So what's the deal? Did the Holy Spirit really say? He said, the Holy Spirit says. What's going on? Why was he right in Acts 11 and not here? Stay tuned. Okay. Verse 12. When Paul, when we, when we heard this, Paul and his companions, those that are there, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. Note in verse 12 there, when we heard this, we and the people. So now, Paul's traveling companions, those who have seen him through thick and thin, are saying, no, 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 no. don't go. Don't go. What are you doing? They've joined the others in begging him to not go to Jerusalem. And this is where I say, enter William Wallace. You know, the big speech. You know? Gosh, I wish I had good accent capability. I'm going to pick a fight, you know? I can almost hear Paul saying that. I'm not only willing to be bound for the name of the Lord Jesus. No, I'll take it to the extreme. I'm willing to die. This is a hill that I want to fight, and I'm willing to lose my life for it. The name of the Lord Jesus is so important to me. It's William Wallace time. I'm going to pick a fight. I ain't get dressed up for nothing. And they let him go. Verse 15. After this, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. That's encouraging. They didn't just send him off by himself. They continued to go with him. Uh, some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us up and brought us to the home of Nason, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and all the elders were present, all the leaders. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Remember back to Acts 9, 
What was he going to do? He was going to be God's chosen instrument to carry the Lord's name. What does that mean? What, does it need, what did that mean to him? It's the message that Jesus lived. He died. He didn't stay dead. He was raised to life and is currently seated at the right hand of God, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given. He's over life and death, heaven and hell. The Bible says that no one can come to the Father except through him because he is the way. Though our sin appropriately separates us from God, this God of righteousness, Jesus became sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. And with that said, the, the question that's asked in Romans 8, shall anything separate us from the love of Christ? And it goes on to list all these possible things. It says nothing because it's taken care of on the cross. And praise God. The Gentiles heard that and received it. They believed it. Verse 20. When they heard this, they being James and the other elders, the other leaders of the church in Jerusalem, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live, live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do you see the issue at hand here? It's not the, the Gentiles that are having a problem. Acts 15 took care of that. There was a council. They said, Gentiles, help us out. We as Jewish people have been given a certain set of laws that we're going to live by. Help us out by obeying these four things. So they've been given that. And then in Jerusalem, Messianic Jews, Jews that, that followed Jesus, still obeyed the law. And so then you have Paul, who when he's with the Gentiles, is saying certain things, and then he comes over here and he's with the Jews and he says certain things that are different. I don't have this on your insert, but just listen quickly. 1 Corinthians 8.13, if he went there, Paul would say, I'm not, if, if one of my Jewish brothers has a problem with meat, I'm not going to eat meat because it's important for me to help him as he follows the law. And then he comes over here and he's with his, uh, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And in Galatians 5.6, he says, circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter. Okay. Acts 16.3, just got done saying circumcision, uncircumcision, doesn't matter. Acts 16.3, Timothy, I'm going to circumcise you. First uh, Corinthians 9 reads this way. This is Paul kind of giving his philosophy of ministry. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though myself am not under the law. To those not having law, I became like one having the law. To the weak, I became weak. To win the weak, I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel. 
So James and the elders are coming to Paul and saying, we got this problem. Do you live by the law or don't you? You tell these guys one thing and these guys a different thing. What are we going to do? And Paul doesn't say it, but from his philosophy and from his track record, we can say he, he doesn't have a law. He follows the Spirit. This circumstance calls for this. And this circumstance calls to follow the Spirit in that way. All coming back to that philosophy that he wants to save some. What are you going to do? What shall we do? It's William Wallace time again. Right? The Holy Spirit warns me. Prison and hardships are waiting me. I'm okay with that. I'm ready. I'm willing to pick a fight. For the name of the Lord Jesus. Verse 23. James and the elders say this. Do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their head shaved. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. If I'm Paul, I'm sitting there going, no, no, no. This is a hill I'm willing to die on. What's important to me is that people would be saved. I'm, I'm not willing just to be bound. I'm ready to die. It's William Wallace time. This is where I get messed up. Verse 26. The next day, Paul took the men... And purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end and the offering would be made for each of them. What? Paul, you're killing me here. I can't understand. And this whole sequence of events, from when he says he's bound, and other people say, through the Spirit, don't go, and then he comes to James and the others and say, hey, this is how we're going to solve this problem. It, it, it causes me, it leads me to ask the question, who's leading this operation? It's the title of the message. Who's leading this thing? I thought it was Paul. But then he brings himself under the authority of James and the elders there, and he does what they tell him. And I don't understand what's going on. Who is in control? I think the answer lies in Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. This gives light to the whole rest of the book. It says in Acts 1.8 that God's people would receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them and they're going to be witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem, close, throughout Judea and Samaria, a little bit further out, to the ends of the earth. We must examine today's passage in light of that. The Holy Spirit's doing something. So what's it mean about this passage? I just want to give a quick teaching on the leading of the Holy Spirit. It's not unlike, the, the Holy Spirit doesn't, uh, it's not foreign, it's not uh, something that we can't get our arms around. It's, it's, it would parallel communication I would have with my wife. The Holy Spirit, 
We better have Jill play that role because that's more accurate than me possibly. Jill would, Jill would communicate. The Holy Spirit communicates a message. I receive that message. I hear it. I interpret it. I receive it. That's piece number two. She communicates. That's one. I receive it or interpret it. That's two. And then the third piece is then I respond to the message. It's just like communication between uh, person to person. Not unlike that. But here's the difficulty. Let me give you an example of the difficulty of the Holy Spirit's leading. Uh, My wife says to me, I want the garbage taken out, please. Now, there are a number of ways that I could interpret that. I could interpret interpret garbage a certain way. I could interpret um, her wanting this done versus needing this done or please, Lord, help me if this doesn't get done. And just taken out. What does taken out mean? So I can interpret that a number of different ways, which will then color how I respond to that message. You know? If she says, I want the garbage taken out, please, and I say, she wants it taken out. i got a couple more hours before that needs to happen. That's going to color how I respond. Right? It's going to color the way I do things. This is a true life example from our, our life, our, our, our history together, our marriage. Uh, first house we moved into, uh, Jill communicated to me that she wanted pictures hung. She didn't like bare walls. All of college I had bare walls. I didn't see a problem in that. But she wanted some pictures. She wanted some decorations. And she communicated that to me in a number of different ways. Didn't really hear that. So I come home one day and there's just pictures up. She just did it. And Okay. All right? We move into our second place. She communicated the same thing. Ah, I got experience, though. So I hear and I interpret a little bit better. And we set aside some time to hang pictures together. And that was my first experience doing that. You know, I am such a klutz with a lot of things. And just to get them level, oh my gosh. Is that just not an exercise in frustration? Trying to get these stupid pictures straight. Okay. Okay. We did that together. Third house, or third place, first house, third place we live. I got this thing down. I know. So it's just like, I know what will communicate love to my wife. I'm doing the hanging the picture thing. You know? Well, the, 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 the issue is, the issue becomes... I never listened for the message in the first place. I just went based on something previous, so I just went and did them all, and oh, they're straight, and they look great. What's the problem? Our house is crooked. And when you have straight pictures in a crooked house, things don't look right. (laughs) So she's coming behind me, twisting them, making them all crooked. Quick application. Communicate often with your spouse and with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) All right. All those things that I skipped, those different issues relating to the Holy Spirit, we're going to hit on them right now. We're going to answer all your questions. Yes. Okay. Paul, Acts 20, verse 22. He's compelled by the Spirit. Is this accurate or not? Well, let's take the second half of that. He said, prison and hardships are, are awaiting me. The Holy Spirit warns me. Is that true? Anybody know the experience of Paul? Is that true? Yes. So is it such a leap of faith to think that he heard correctly that the Holy Spirit said, why don't you go to this city too? 
probably not a huge leap of faith, most likely pretty accurate that he was bound, compelled to go to Jerusalem in spite of the hardships and prison that were facing him. Okay, now this is where it gets sticky. Disciples at Tyre, Acts 21, verse 4, through the Spirit, they urge him not to go. How are you going to get out of this one? Is this accurate? Where's Sonia? Sonia here today? Sonia. We did this. We, I, helped, I had uh, the people of Hope on Campus, our college group, help me write this sermon. She raises her hand as we're working through this. She said, that word through, what's that in the original language? I don't know. <laughs> I don't have my Greek Bible here. So it actually holds a, a, a key piece to understanding this. And I thank her for pointing it out because I was just sitting there going, I think it says through. In the Greek, I think it's, it's through. And so we translate it through. <laughs> but more, more accurately, there's, there's two words you could use for through. And this word actually would be uh, maybe better translated because of. Because of the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Because of the Spirit. Because of the Spirit. What's the Spirit done? The Spirit has warned Paul. The last recording of the Spirit is the Spirit has warned Paul that prisons and hardships are awaiting him. Are you guys catching it there? Because of the Spirit's warnings to, warning to Paul about prison and hardships facing, they urged him not to go to Jerusalem. It wasn't so much that what was communicated to them by the Holy Spirit was actually true. They heard what was communicated to Paul prisons, hardships facing him. They heard that, and then that dictated a response that said, oh no, no prisons, no hardships. Does that make sense? So the Holy Spirit's not doing conflicting messages as much as people are hearing one thing, and then that causes them to respond in a way that is, they feel the loving response. They don't want Paul to experience prison and hardships. So thank you, Sonia, for helping me. Agabus, Acts 21.11, what do we do here? The Holy Spirit says, eh, eh. what are we going to do with this? We come back to that, those three pieces of the leading the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit communicates something, I hear it, I interpret it, and then I respond. Now he got part of the prophecy right. Paul is going to be bound. He gets that right, he hears that. But it seems like Agabus' problem is my problem. He's playing PlayStation when his wife's trying to tell him something. He doesn't get the whole story. He just gets a part of it. You get like a part of it right, and you think you can pass it off as getting the whole thing right. He got, he got part of it right. Paul's going to be bound. But the two groups, he gets mixed up. Who's going to capture him? Who's going to protect him? He doesn't get that right. It was misapplied. He heard it, but he didn't hear it all, and that caused a response that was not entirely accurate. All right, last one. James and the elders. James and the elders. This, this is, uh, you know that little, little blank there? Some of you guys are going, oh, it's his first time preaching. and he, he did a little dash there. He must not have been to do the dash. No, the dash is, that's what we're going to talk about right now. The dash is uh, James and the elders, no acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit. They have no acknowledgement. These are the leaders of the churches in Jerusalem in that area. No acknowledgement of the Holy Spirit. Why do I bring that up? Well, I feel like it's important that your leaders are led by the Holy Spirit. 
But how can we make uh, sense of this is the fact that why did Paul come to Jerusalem originally? Gifts. Want to bring money. Do you see that anywhere in this text? No. Paul comes up, he shares, oh, the Gentiles are doing great stuff. And they say, yeah, 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 about that. We got this law issue we got to clear up with you. He doesn't even get to say, look at all this material blessing I brought to your churches. He doesn't even get to that point. These guys have a bone to pick with them. They have something that's just been sitting there, and they got to take care of it. They propose this question about what shall we do, Paul? What are we going to do now? We got this issue to take care of. We don't see any acknowledgement of going to, going to the Word, going to prayer, seeking the leading of the Holy Spirit. Here's our answer. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to try and appease the Jews. Let's do that. And they didn't seek to be led of the Spirit. So what? Who cares? Being led of the Holy Spirit is foundational to who we are as a church. It's core value number four. If you flip over your worship folder, core value number four is we want to be dependent on God through the Holy Spirit. And the little catchphrase we use is we want to be a sailboat catching the wind of God's Spirit, not being a motorboat where we just do it ourselves. And here's the difficulty. The Spirit's described as wind and breath. And so how am I led by the Spirit of God? It's difficult. I acknowledge that. The Spirit does crazy things. Crazy things. This is, uh, I think, the third book that... uh, highlights where we are as a church. Uh, Carol Treichler has put our life to pictures. And if you open up in here, there's a story, a new chapter in the life of whole community church. The story begins with this relationship between Steve, Dave Sulak, Tom Mao. They get this relationship going, working together in ministry. Hope runs out of space at our old church building. And something's happening here at Central. Let me just read quickly. Along about December of 2002, Steve was informed by his friends mentioned above that Central E-Free Church in downtown Minneapolis was considering closing. Tom, as the director of sup- district superintendent of the E-Free Church, approached this congregation about the joint ministry of him, Dave Sulak, and Steve. The early months of 2003 were spent in much prayer and meetings between all the involved parties. Only the pastors of Hope knew at this time, in March, Central Church did vote to close and to give their building for God's work to Hope in the North Central District. I couldn't have prophesied or predicted that. Sometimes the Holy Spirit just does stuff. But with that being said, with the difficulty of following the Holy Spirit, what can we do to to make sure that we're led of him, that he leads us. Three things I got for you in application. Number one, be led of the Spirit by reading God's word, knowing God's word. 
The, the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit knows the thoughts of God, and thankfully the Holy Spirit has written down those things in the Bible. He wrote that thing. So we can know God's thoughts through the Bible. Critically important. Number one, these are in a specific order. That is number one. God's word, high priority. Number two, God's people. The Holy Spirit dwells in other followers of Christ. Get other people around you and have them help you. I did that with this sermon. I had people at Hope on Campus. I had Michael Deverell, Nicole Deverell, Chris Walker, Stephen Hamlet, tons of people, people that I haven't mentioned yet, helping me with this. So get other people in your life that know you well and that are being led of the Spirit themselves. Number three, and I would drop this down a little bit because I don't experience this personally. I just want to admit that. I don't experience this. Some people feel a, a, a burning in their soul, uh, peace go from them, peace come to them. They, 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 they get this mother's intuition. They get this thing that just, it's, it's just like, I know this is the way to go. I just know it. And I don't get that. I rely heavily on number one and number two, and I would encourage you to do the same. But some people, they just have a sensitive spirit, a discerning spirit, and they feel like, ah, it's, that's it, I know it. Call it their conscience, call it God, uh, spirit communicating to them internally. Um, but I wouldn't make that number one, just to warn you. That has let a lot of people down. And so I would, if you feel that, I would say, Let's just check number one and number two just to make sure that what, number, what you're feeling with this, this voice, let's just make sure that it meshes with number one and number two. I would encourage that. And my second application, what a bad substitute. Second application. You got two things, all right? So be led in those, in those ways. And then what is the Spirit leading you to do? I believe right now that the Holy Spirit is communicating to you. Maybe it's relation, about a relationship. Maybe it's something at work. Maybe it's something with school. Maybe it's something with family. God wants to do Acts 1-8 in your life. He wants to give you power so you can be a witness of Jesus where you're at. Whether it's school, whether it's work, in your family. And here's the difficulty. You do one, you do three, two, you do three, Silence. Sometimes there is just silence. I got nothing. I'm not hearing anything. And I like what Steve says, uh, Pastor Steve. Sometimes he just says, God is silent. He just says, make the call. Make the call. You might be right, you might be wrong. Make the call. I'm putting the ball in your court. Will you pray with me? This is a, this is a big thing. Uh, being led of the Holy Spirit. And so let's just invite him to, to move. And I have it up there on the screen if you want to read along with me, pray along with me, please. Holy Spirit, teach us when your word we read. Shine upon its pages with the light we need. Holy Spirit, prompt us when we kneel to pray. Nearer come and teach us what we ought to say. Holy Spirit, give us each a lowly mind. Make us more like Jesus, gentle, pure, and kind. Amen.
We are going to move now to a time of communion, of prayer, of